right, everybody, welcome to a very special edition of EM Over Easy, where Andy is in Florida and Tanner and Drew are in Ohio in separate parts of the city, and we are here for a new COVID update. How's it going, guys? Good. We're uh, fully embracing social distancing via podcast. Yes. Yeah, this is about as far as we can get away from each other, I think, where we currently live. I, well, I guess Tanner was in, in Idaho, Boise. That's true. It'd be, it'd be more socially distanced. However, Tanner and I are multiple miles away in Columbus, Ohio, which which feels very, very wrong. And uh, I don't even know if I'm going to physically see you on this trip, uh, but uh, it's good to see your face and, and hear your voice, it's guys. It's good to see your mustache, Drew. I was oh, my say. mustache is absurd. It, it's its own personality at this point, uh, but it's staying. As long as COVID is here, my mustache is here. And guess what, guys? COVID ain't going anywhere. He's going to be Chris. He's trying to do a good Chris Hadfield impersonation, so he's trying to be his favorite astronaut. Does... I can only uh, hope. Does your uh, mustache have an Instagram account yet? It's working on it. Uh, it's definitely working on it. I think after my ACOEP talk uh, coming up this week, it it might have its own Instagram page. It might be its coming out party. It's so <laughs> gonna be great. Yeah, when it was uh, when I was you know had that little video post to me, it, I got some nice feedback that people were not so concerned about their mustaches anymore because of mine. <laughs> right. So clearly, clearly that's positive reinforcement. So. That was a that was kind of a nice transition about how you're keeping your your mustache through COVID, um, guys. It's still here. Uh, COVID is still around. Where are we at with this? Like, how you know? Let's let's update kind of where we were. I think last time we talked, things were slowly improving. Uh, the curves were going down. We we were kind of starting to have some optimism the last time we talked. Yeah, I kind of feel like as a country, like the places where it was hot, so New York City, Detroit, Chicago. Uh, San Francisco, the hotspots were starting to calm down. You know, their cases per day were dropping significantly. Deaths were dropping off. And the rest of the country was kind of staying cool and and collected. Cases were very, very low. Um, and Ohio, uh, you know, before moving to Florida, we, we had a lot of sick people. But overall, we were to keep the, case, keep the cases down. And then June 1 happened. Um, I think everybody saw June 1 as kind of the, the date. Uh, they circled it on the calendar when everybody could start opening it up. And that was a... To me, that was kind of the first of the many follies was you saw states start to buck the recommendations June 1st, and then that's where we are now, um, if we can pick a date. And I don't even know if it was bucking the recommendations so much as like there was a lot of excitement about, hey, we've done a good job. We yeah. we think we can start reopening things. And I think probably the bigger issue is we just didn't know how quick we could open and, and took the aggressive approach as opposed to the conservative approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to be to be blunt, we were idiots, right? And we uh, the, the harsh reality is we continue to be idiotic in our approach to this virus. And unfortunately, while the initial lockdown was certainly politicized in its own manner, um, it, it was tempered compared to the political environment that we're going through right now. And that's what's causing so much of our issues, right? This this virus, in so many ways, is really predictable. Um, take Ohio for example. So Ohio, the end of in June was doing pretty well. Um, things started loosening up about two weeks into June. We saw a little bit of a rise in cases. And then by the time we hit the beginning of the July, cases were dramatically increasing. Right. And, and we'll talk a little bit, I think, as we go on about cases in specific and, and, and how charting this and trending it and all that has to change as, as our testing changes. Um, but then cases got out of control and the city of Columbus and Franklin County put in a mask mandate. And shockingly, a little over two weeks after a mask mandate, locally in Columbus and Central Ohio, we see a leveling off and a slow decline in cases. Wait, 
Why? Because masking works, right? And then the state of Ohio, Ohio follows suit. And we're seeing the same thing now in the state of Ohio, where um, this concept of an RT number, which is different than the R not, uh, but an RT, which is the number of people one infected person transmits the virus to and infects, falls below one. And so once you're below one, you see a decline in cases. When you're above one, you see a, an increase in cases, right? So for every one infected person, there's more than one that gets infected from that person or not, right? It's it's the Ohio actually did this great ad where this ping pong ball was dropped without social distancing. And then one was dropped with social distancing with a bunch of mouse traps and you watch them all mm-hmm. go off. But like that, that's where we're at right now. And yeah. so there's so many unknowns about this virus and we can t- go down those rabbit holes. But what we do know about it is the, the easiest way to prevent spread is social distancing and universal masking. Mm-hmm. And this shouldn't be political, nope. but it has become political. And because of it, we are not going to get control of this virus. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, coming from, from Idaho, one of the perspectives that we had initially uh, was the fact that, you know, we're not New York City. We're not a ton of people on top of each other. Um, in, and it's, you know, fairly spread out overall. Granted, Boise is a, a fairly large, um, uh, city in itself and there's lots of people around, but I think that was one of the perspectives, right? Like that was part of the reason why we probably thought opening quickly in June was okay. But then mm-hmm. what happens is as things are communicated on whether it's media, social media, um, and things are kind of discussed in terms of, uh, maybe a political aspect as opposed to just a basic science approach, you have this this explosions in in rural areas in urban areas that are not New York that are not San Francisco that are you know Boise Idaho and within the last month we've been in one of the uh, the, the county that I live in it was one of the top 4 counties in terms of in terms of positivity rates which is crazy but that's the reality with this with this disease right is it doesn't read uh, it doesn't read your social media feed it is a very basic virus that does what viruses do very well. And that's the hard part. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you live or anything like that. We know these outbreaks can happen anywhere now. And we actually have to just approach it like a virus and not like a, uh, political agenda. Yeah. And to me, it's been almost disheartening because, you know, I, 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 as you talk to people that are upset about the approach with the virus, you know, masks come up pretty universally as a big thing. And for me, it, it doesn't make it, I, I don't get it. Um, to me, the idea that I have to wear a, you know, a fabric mask when I go to the grocery store so I don't cough on you as I'm checking out or as I don't cough, as I'm at the meat counter and that guy's blowing his, his, uh, his respiratory secretions at me and I'm blowing mine back at him. Like it, I just don't get it. You know, the idea that it's covering my face, that people can't identify me. Like I, I just don't get it to where this is, this is going to have to be the normal. Um, and I think when, when I started thinking about the mask stuff, I really was frustrated. And so I went and looked it up and, you know, when we talk about, you know, a lot of people talk about this is the flu and we can go there a little bit, but maybe it is the flu. Maybe it's like 1918 when the flu came out, but in 1918, when the flu came out, they saw in cities that had masks that used masks, the cases were low and cities who encouraged people to social distance, the cases were low. And so, and in the places where people didn't do that, the cases were up. So, okay, so maybe it's just like the flu the first time. But the idea that something as simple as a mask um, has become this political issue just doesn't make sense to me. But again, when you look at history, there were anti-mask rallies in 1919 and 1920, and there were newspaper articles, and there were politicians, and there were health departments that basically were going against science. And I think it's people just need to take a pause, think about how if we're all in this together, we've all got to play by the rules. And like Tanner said, nobody's special here. Like the virus doesn't care. Um, 
And you just got to have that kind of mentality. The hard part about masks and, and where I think so much of society has a struggles with this is that the masks don't protect me, right? It protects you. Yeah. And so it takes a leap of faith, right? I, there was a great article in, I posted it in one of our email over easy newsletters comparing mask wearing to seatbelts. And when seatbelts became a federal law that you had to wear seatbelts, there's a lot of resistance to it, right? The thing with seatbelts, though, is that's directly protecting the person wearing the seatbelt. So it's, it's not a big leap of faith to say, this is the right thing to do for me. Mm-hmm. The problem with the mask is me wearing a mask does really almost nothing for me, right? Mm-hmm. There might be a little bit of protection just with the regular surgical yeah. mask or cloth mask that we're wearing in public, right? We're not talking about N95s that we're wearing in the emergency department. But what it does is protects the people that I'm around, right? And, and let's go a step further for it now, I mean, a little bit about how we're doing in the emergency department. I honestly feel safer in my emergency department around people that I know have COVID than I do going out in public with people not wearing masks, right? And and the crazy thing is the assumption is going to be that if I get sick with COVID that I picked it up when I was at work. And the reality of the situation is I was just as likely, if not more likely to get it when I went to the grocery store or when I was getting gas and somebody came too close to me or, you know, one of these other, I, I let things slip and I hung out with some friends that I shouldn't have hung out with. And, and you know, I, I lost control of my social distancing. That's where I'm going to pick up COVID. I really don't think at this point with the safety precautions we have wearing face protection with an N95 mask and eye protection and all that, that I'm going to get this at the hospital plus universal masking, right? Yeah. And and to drive this point home, um, one of the hospital systems in Boston recently published a study, came out in JAMA, and it is involving universal masking at their facilities. So they were testing a ton of healthcare providers in their facility. And they started testing as COVID was becoming a big deal the end of March into April, when it was just providers wearing masks. And they saw a exponential increase in cases amongst providers. Then they instituted universal masking where the patient and the provider wear a mask. And this is high-risk contacts, and they're seeing a linear decline in cases with their provider. So these are not patients. These are providers getting exposed to COVID, not with special masks, but with surgical masks and face coverings universally throughout the hospital. If you can apply that from a hospital where we know it works with high-risk exposure populations to the general public, we know this works. Yeah. Right? But we're not doing it. I mean, I, I think you hit it on the head, man. The fact that we used to feel afraid in our ERs because we were concerned about getting this disease. And now we realize that our biggest risk as healthcare providers on the front lines is actually in the community around people who are, we don't know if they have it or not, and slipping up in a community setting. Not so much when we're just doing our thing in the ER, wearing our PPE and having everyone wear masks. And, and that kind of brings back to probably one of the biggest things that I've kind of learned in the past several months. Um, and, and I'm stealing this from Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, and his his kind of argument of what's happened with this whole pandemic is that people are trying to interpret the science, right? And, and many people have forgotten how to do that. Because the reality is most of us see science in a, in a light of here is a scientific fact. But the reality is, is that science is not scientific facts. Science is a process. And the way this disease has gone, the way this, is, this pandemic has gone is the epitome of science, right? When it first started showing up on our radar, we made hypothesis, a hypothesis of how it was going to go. It hit us. We essentially, that was the test, the experiment. And then we got the feedback and we made changes. 
So we found out real quickly, it does spread really quickly. It spreads asymptomatically. We probably should do some things about that. And so then we adjusted our recommendations. Initially, the, like the, a lot of people get stuck on like, well, we first were told we didn't need masks. Now we need masks. And the, the reason that's changed is because the data has changed. Over time, we've learned that, okay, we probably have enough masks in terms of PPE now, hopefully, for most places. There's, there may be some out there that don't, but hopefully for most places. But that the fact that just a simple cloth mask while you're walking around town is pretty dang effective at reducing the spread. So that's new data, and that's why the recommendations have changed over time. And this whole pandemic is you have to look at it not as uh, every single thing is a given fact. It's more of this is what we know now from the information we've gathered from it. And as new information comes, the recommendations may change. And that's how it's going to go until this thing is done. Go ahead, Andy. I was going to say, I mean, to reiterate that, like, this is the scientific method happening in front of people's eyes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where it's different, is that we in medicine have, fortunately, when we do research projects, most of our research projects, it happens behind closed doors. We ask a question, we look at the data, we formulate, a, 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 you know, kind of a protocol, and then we collect the data, and then we look at it and we analyze it. But this is all happening with a public view. And so people are really getting caught up in the, well, your question was wrong. And it's like, well, you're right. Our question was wrong. So we modified the question, got the data we wanted, and now have a result that goes against what we originally told you. And that's okay. Like, that's 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 why we do what we do. It's because we're, tr- we're constantly collecting data. And every patient's a data point, and every case is a data point that's going to add to our knowledge that might change recommendations. Sure. And, and one of the things that people focus on a lot in um, the social media realm and what you hear pundits talking about is what is our death rate? So, you know, the r not of this disease. And initially we thought this, the r not was maybe multiple percentages, right? Like, is this one, two, three, four percent? Well, at the time when we were only testing really symptomatic people that were getting admitted to the hospital, maybe getting to the ICU, uh, we were seeing a really high death rate in it, right? Now it looks like the death rate probably is less than half a percent, but that's because we're testing universally almost at this point, right? So the, the testing parameters have changed completely. So now that the numbers haven't we haven't adjusted to them, right? And and what we knew or what we saw in April is really no different than what's going on now, except that our understanding of the spread of this disease is much more significant, yeah. right? So it's not that we were wrong before, it's that the situation has changed in the form of data collection, right? Like we're collecting many, many more data points. And so, you know, the other comparison I've heard a lot of people made uh, make in my community is, well, our our case positive rate is really low. So that means we're doing a really good job and we should be reporting in our case positive rate, our percent positive rate, as opposed to just pure numbers. Well, yeah, that that is something that we need to trend and probably we need to trend it now, but we can't compare that to our positive percentage rate or our case positive rate back from April or May when we we had no testing availability. And it's even hard right now because I don't know if you guys have experienced it, uh, what, what's going on in Florida, Andy, but man, my testing availability changes by yeah. the day yeah. almost. You know, I get an email on a Friday saying I can't test asymptomatic patients and that if it's symptomatic but not admitted, uh, the, the, it's a send out test. But if it's a symptomatic admitted patient or a surgical patient, then it's a rapid test. And then we do that for the weekend and we change our work notes and, and our workflow. And then by Monday, there's a different email saying, oh, now you can rapid test anybody, but just don't test asymptomatic. Like it, it is what we are experiencing from a testing platform standpoint is is so variable. 
and the tests themselves are so variable. I mean, just look at the governor of Ohio this past week, <laughs> test positive on one test and negative on the next, yeah. right? Like yeah. our tests are not that great. So our numbers were just to Tanner's point is we're learning on the fly with this virus and we have a much better understanding than we did a couple months ago. And if we could listen to what the pundits are saying now that actually know what they're talking about, we should, we should, but that's going to change. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, I, and I think the, the thing that, that I love about that last statement was you listening to the people who know what they're talking about. Because I feel like that is unfortunate what has come of this since we last recorded this is that everybody to me is trying to win the game. And when everybody thinks they're an epidemiologist exactly. these days, right? Because yeah. they, they look at numbers and they've read Wikipedia and, you know, it's like us being in the emergency department. We think that people come in thinking they're already doctors. Like I'm not an epidemiologist, nope. right? I get confused by these numbers all the time. I, I think I have a better grasp on it than the layperson does, mm -hmm. but man, I, I need to listen to the experts. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the, the easiest way to approach this is just, you know, look at somebody and see what they actually do for a living. And if they are someone who looks at, spread of disease or infectious disease or something that is related to a, a pandemic, they probably have a pretty good idea of what they're talking about. Um, and like, it, it's funny when you talk about testing and how it's changing, like that's something that still drives me nuts. Like, I, I just don't understand how we don't, we, we, we've known that this is one of the keys to isolating this disease. If you can test more people especially people who are asymptomatic, because that's our biggest risk of spreading this disease is the people who don't know they have it. If you can test more people and do it quickly and help contain areas, it goes much, much better. Like we've seen that the minute, like look at, uh, look at the sports that have been starting up, right? They are doing massive amounts of testing to the point where even uh, major league baseball, which is a complete joke in terms of how they approached it kind of, but, Watch if you look at what what's happened to them. Like they've had teams where they've had outbreaks. Guess how often they're testing and how and how rapidly they're testing. They're able to contain those outbreaks pretty dang quick comparatively to I think most of our communities right now. Because I mean in Idaho right now, I can't get a test that's going to come back in 15 minutes. I can't get a test that's going to come back in a day. It's going to take multiple days for it to come back. And if I'm an asymptomatic carrier and I'm still growing the grocery store because I need to eat. It's pretty tough to keep that, that disease quarantined if you, if you don't know you have it. So, um, yeah, testing is still like, it's, that's the part that blows me away about this whole thing. We're however many months into this and we're still not up to speed on testing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but let's talk about that for a minute. That, that baseball is an example, or, or professional sports is an example. How ridiculous is it as a society, though, that we are allowing sports to reopen with the ability to do rapid testing, but us healthcare providers cannot get rapid tests on our yep. patients no, and have right. testing supply yep. issues? Like, what is wrong with our priorities as a society that we've allowed this to happen? And I realize that we're probably going down a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down on this podcast, and, and I'll stop there. <laughs> but, but that just irks me beyond belief to think that I have testing limitations because of supply issues. Issues, but Major League Baseball can test all their players two to three times a week. Totally agree. And how about let's let's uh, let's use kind of the example um, like we'll we'll look at the silver lining, right? Because of the the sport testing and how that's gone, we now have literally studies that have just been performed for us to prove that testing works, right? So if you uh, testing and quarantining, so just kind of like the Boston thing with the masking. So now you have look at these leagues. I read a really interesting article comparing the leagues, right? You have the NHL. And uh, the NBA, which have done the bubble effect, right? They do massive amount of testing and then you quarantine people. So there's no ins or outs. 
to prove that, hey, nobody is coming in with a disease and then you are not allowed to leave and there's no contact on the outside. They haven't had outbreaks. They've retested players multiple times. There's no outbreaks in either of those so far. Granted, it's not a perfect thing, but so far it's looking pretty dang good. You look at Major League Baseball. They took the approach of here's some guidelines. You have 30 teams to do. Follow those guidelines however you see fit. And we've had multiple outbreaks in multiple areas because you have different interpretations. And it's almost, almost identical to how countries have handled this, right? If you take an uh, aggressive approach to quarantining, social distancing, and testing, your, your, your numbers go down. If you take a, here's some guidelines, here's some guidelines, good luck, and you have 30 different approaches, you have crossover of people, you have people kind of doing their own thing, some people listening, some people not, and it causes outbreaks and it causes problems. And so it, you know, very United States-esque in terms of the fact that we're the United States of we're going to do our own thing, you're going to do your own thing. And so you can see how there's just so much like, you know, it's just, it, you can see how it's working. Yeah, to me, the, 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 the success of sports and being able to relaunch is because they were able to convince thousands of people from different walks of life, different political attitudes to come together with a common goal, which was MLB's goal was to have a baseball season. PGA's goal was to have a golf season. Like, and, and on top of have a golf season, also provide for the public something other than droning out on Netflix, right? And so to me, that's the problem with what's going on in America and other countries is that we, for some reason, you know, the, the greatest country in the world, the greatest dem- democracy, what some people say, can't realize that our goal should be limiting spread, which will limit deaths. And by doing so, putting funding towards testing. So, so we can get back to the new normal. Cause I think everybody talks about getting back Man, to the normal. Dude, you, you just, you just nailed the public safety yeah, announcement, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, we need we need Andy to come out and give this PSA to America. You want society. football? Well, it's, you it's want just, baseball? You want to go sit at a concert? You want to sit in a park or a restaurant or a bar? Listen to the experts. <laughs> Social distance. But do do what NHL has done. Yeah. No, it's 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 real simple. That and and once don't be the MLB. Don't be the MLB. <laughs> well, I mean, as, as we're talking about testing, like I. And, and again, you guys know, I'm a little more, I don't want, we don't need to get too political, but I'm a more of a conservative person. But this has made me realize that we as a country need to quit talking about who we are politically and realize we are human beings that breathe the same air, that have the same goals, live in the same country, and that we need to wake up to the idea that the goal should be to limit spread so we limit deaths so everybody can return to the new normal because there is no normal. There is no going back to where we were in January. That version of our country doesn't exist for a long time. But the new normal is masks, social distancing, and then just thinking about others at times above yourself. So before we get too long on this podcast, I think um, some of our listeners would be really curious, Andy, to hear what your experience has been going down to Florida. So you were in Ohio with me uh, and Mm -hmm. Tanner when Ohio was peaking, although we kind of, you know, more of like a plateau for a little while, died off and now we're back. But you experienced COVID um, in Ohio in, in a pretty upfront in your face kind of way where you had to manage some really sick patients. Florida kind of missed that initial yeah. surge, but then by the time you got down there in uh, July and started working shifts, Florida was starting to surge like the rest of the Southern U S uh, kind of was at the same time. So what was your experience being a uh, seasoned COVID provider in a system that was just starting to really experience it? Yeah, it was it one it was it's been a great experience. And I, I don't say that from a I'm I'm sad at the number of cases we've seen. I'm sad the sickness that we've seen. 
But it was the first time I think in my career where I was able to walk into a brand new situation and and have some knowledge that I could directly impart to people that was new. Um, and again, I tell people I, I wasn't happy that I had the experience I had in Ohio. I wish the cases weren't as bad. I wish people didn't get as sick. But for me to be able to come to Florida where now the question was, hey, uh, why are we – we're running out of events. So now what do we do? And so I was able to send that to the residents and to, and to faculty members and say, hey, there's a really good protocol for high flow nasal cannula. I think this is where we should be going. And we've been able to see that kind of take trend to where now the majority of our patients get – um, get sent in with high flow nasal cannula that's that, that's mystified whether Vapotherm or the other other company, and then also we've talked about proning in the emergency department, and then even just change practice where when I came down procedures weren't being done with a hood, and so I was able to talk about hey every procedure central line um, intubation chest tube those should all be done with a visor on and just kind of help help mold practices where again they from their experience was COVID wasn't that bad, so we don't need to worry about it. And I was able to bring some credibility of, no, this is going to get worse, and COVID is bad, and so here's some way we can prevent ourselves getting it, um, and also our staff. So it, it's been it's been kind of, again, it's been surreal, and in one part very awesome, and also the other part of, it, it, it hasn't been fun seeing it for a second time. I hoped when I left Ohio that, you know, it was all going to get better, and it, and it hasn't, so it's a little bit like Groundhog's Day where you know what you're up against, but the yeah. people going through it don't realize that they're experiencing it again. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. Hey, so before we wrap up, I'm curious, guys, what, what's your take on vaccines, right? So uh, to me, this is the way we we actually conquer COVID. Um, and I'll give my take on it, but I, I want to hear from the two of you because we haven't talked about this at all between the three of us. Are vaccines going to work? What's your take on it? Is, is this the answer? Uh, so, I mean... Ideally, yeah, if we get a vaccine for this, um, that's a that's a massive boost into decreasing community spread uh, and in, in getting back to as close to normal as we possibly can. But I, I guess I'm, I'm skeptical, um, which is strange for me. Usually I'm the optimist in the room. But the from what I understand, uh, and maybe you guys have some other information, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of good promising stuff we're seeing in the vaccines that are trying to be made. Granted, the, the reality is, is that there's there's lots of different kinds of vaccines that are currently in progress trying to be made, um, various different kinds. Uh, but the reality is, is that we've never made a vaccine for a virus like this before that's been successful. And even with positive results now, it doesn't mean that down the road it's going to be OK. Um, and so I, I I'm optimistic that we will hopefully I mean, with all the minds in the world working on this because of how big of a deal it is. I'm optimistic that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this time. But, um, you know, I, I'm guess I'm more on the side of I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Let's continue to plan the course of, of what we know we can do for now and let the, so the smarter people with the vaccines do their thing. <laughs> yeah. For yeah, me, that's I, really fair. Yeah. I, I think for me, vaccines, it's part of the solution, right? So, um, we talk about things we can do to mitigate it now, masks, social distancing. But I think one of the long-term solutions, the long play, is we have to come up with a vaccine. Now, does it come up to where this becomes like the flu vaccine, where every year I get a COVID vaccine? I think that's probably the reality because of the type of virus coronavirus is. But I think vaccines are the they're like the last step um, yeah. that needs to be taken to help eradicate this. Well, without it, I think we're just going to have – because, again, we all thought it would be seasonal, right? And then summer came and it hit Florida, Texas, and California and Arizona. So we know that's not the case. Um, and so a vaccine's the way for us to get a break from coronavirus. And I, I guess one of the other things I do want to comment on before, Drew, you give us your perspective is 
I, I saw a really interesting um, thread on on why vaccines are important, but also why rushing them is not a good thing. Uh, and, and it was basically a long description of here's the reasons why this is super important to get right and do it right the first time and not just say, because there was some things that are starting to crop up where people are like, hey, we have phase three trial results that are looking positive. Give me that vaccine now. I don't care about the final results. And it's like, that's not how you can do it because there's a lot of things that go into it, safety, efficacy, et cetera. But what we don't want to do is, and this is what actually worries me the most in our current, uh, current social environment is that if we rush a vaccine and it ends up not working or causing harm or doing something wrong, good luck getting the, the general population to trust science again. And, and I, and that, I think that's the biggest crux for me in the whole vaccine thing is we need to be, we need to make sure that we're delivering on our promise of here's what's going to help. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I cringe with the um, the code name that the U.S. government has given this uh, vaccine operation, you know, Operation Warp Speed. It, it says everything about rushing and nothing about safety and efficacy. Yeah. I, I read a recent report that Russia is looking at having a pub mass public available uh, vaccine in October, which seems way too soon to be doing this. But um you know, I have a lot of faith in the vaccine process. I think that's the only way we're going to come close to herd immunity because we're not going to be able to do it. We're going to contain the infection enough that we don't get to herd immunity, but we're not going to contain it enough that we can that can squash it without vaccination. As far as the speed at which we're going, I, I have a little faith in the sense that one, we're using platforms that are tested and work, right? So yeah, the virus is new, but it's not like we're starting with horse serum from scratch um, and having to do research from null, right? We we already were multiple steps ahead with our vaccine platforms, and it was finding the right particle of the vaccine or the right part of the virus uh, to target. So so that's one of the reasons why we're going to be able to move through this quicker than previously, and it's not going to take five to 10 years to develop. Also, in the history of modern medicine, um, or at least in our modern medicine where, where we are right now, we have never had a worldwide pandemic where the onus has been on so many people to be motivated to do this, where the focus has been on producing a vaccine. So we've yeah. never really tested how quickly we can do this. And I think we're seeing that with the right motivation, which is unfortunate that we have it, that, that we are able to do this a lot quicker than we've ever been able to done before. But that's a testament to our medical advancement and not a testament to us rushing through things. I, I worry about rushing a little bit too, and, and I think we still need to make sure the safety and efficacy is there. I, I cringe that there's an election in November coming up because that's going to be used as a little bit of potentially a political force to try to rush things or not rush things along. Um, and, and that's the wrong reasons. Uh, the vaccine should be publicly available when it is right to be publicly available, and we know that it works and we know that it's safe so we can vaccinate as many people as possible. Um, but I do have a lot of faith in this. One, the, the trials that we We've seen so far in animal modeling and some type of lasting protection um, has, is really, really good, right? Are we going to need this every year? Maybe. Do we need to have two or three boosters in order to get full um, immunization from this? Maybe, you know, I... I I, I'm, I don't know. That's for somebody else to figure out. But I, but it seems like the science is there. And, and I think the speed at which we're doing it right now seems okay to me when I take a step back and I, I really understand the big picture. So I, I feel good about that. And I, and I think we're going to get there sometime this spring seems to be the best indication. Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully a return to a, a true new normal um, for the school year of 2021, yeah. right? That's that's in my head where, where I think we can be. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think Andy, you mentioned this whole summer versus winter thing. And I actually wonder if some of it isn't the that 
our travel patterns are so different as a society compared to previous infectious diseases Mm -hmm. that in the summertime, we're just out and we're moving and we're spreading. And maybe even though the the virus should go away more in the summer than the winter in theory, that just because of our our society now that it's going to be the inverse of it. But that's that's a total theoretical that we'll find out a little more this winter on. Guys, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I think let's let's close out with some a little bit of a reality check uh, for for people to kind of know what we're feeling. I want to know right now what about this pandemic scares you? For me, the thing that scares me is the stuff we don't know. And and I had a good conversation with one of my friends uh, uh, about this, who who was questioning, you know, why is this such a big deal? death rates are down. And, and Drew, you kind of talked about that earlier. The death rates are, you know, the death percentage is, is pretty low overall. And and I get that. Um, but the the thing that scares me is the stuff we don't know. And kind of like we talked about earlier, this is, this is we're in the middle of the scientific process. We don't know what this disease is going to do to our bodies six months from now. We don't know what it's going to do to our bodies a year from now, 10 years from now. And the things that we are seeing is, is really, really strange, right? We're seeing uh, on autopsies, those reports are starting to come out now from our initial wave of, of stuff. And we're seeing these microclots and all different kinds of tissue, the brain, the heart, the lungs. And, and while, you know, our body is pretty good at handling things, who knows what a large microclot uh, uh, burden is going to do long term to our tissues and damage them. And, you know, I'll be very, very curious to see if, you know, 10 years from now, we have a massive influx of people with you know, COPD or some sort of lung disease because they got COVID and it just destroyed certain tissues in their lungs. And now we, we don't know that it's going to happen. These, these 20 and 30 year olds who are recovering fine, quote unquote, may have long-term issues from this. And I think that's the thing to remind people is that, Hey, we still don't know how this is going to turn out long-term. And that's, that's what scares me is, is the unknown, right? Um, it's, it's fine when you know the, the outcome we've, we've had the flu for forever. We know what happens when you recover from it. Um, and, and it's pretty, you know, it's a it's pretty straightforward overall, but, but this is a different beast and it's something that we're still learning about and, and just don't take for granted that if you recover, it's going to be fine. Uh, the systemic effects of this disease and the long lasting effects are, are still unknown, but appear to be unlike any other viral infection we've seen. I mean, in this yeah, for, and, and it's maybe, it's maybe for the people who are not on the, on the front lines in the ER, like the thing that's super weird is on most uh, most viral illnesses that I admit to the hospital, I'm not starting them on anticoagulation automatically or things like that. These are people right now that we are literally concerned that they're going to have a major clotting issue while they're admitted to the hospital because of this disease. And, and we're starting them on blood thinners and things like that, which is very strange. The, the, the unpredictability of this virus is what baffles me is one person gets the blood clots and, and has the, the vascular aspect of it. And, and the next person, it's all respiratory. And the next person is actually like an olfactory, like chronic fatigue syndrome. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's, it's so bizarre. Uh, beyond the medical part of it, and Tanner, I mean, that really is my, my concern. But I, I worry that as a society, we have become so divisive over a virus that I don't know if we can recover even once we're past the virus itself. Yeah, I think to follow up to Drew's point, my biggest concern is um, the recovery from this. Um, I think there's going to be, you know, we, we, it's really easy to turn on the TV and see there's been a financial uh, problem because of this. We've seen job loss. We've seen uh, people be home. And I think that, like Drew, Drew said, this has been divisive. It's divisive among friends. It's divisive among family members, uh, my own family members, to where a virus is now a wedge in relationships where you would hope 
we could all get on the same page and all be forthcoming. Um, so to me, it's it, this virus is, is going to hit home in one of two ways. It's either going to take a family member or it's going to take a relationship. Um, and that's just been my personal experience. And the hope is, is that we can recover from the second more than the first. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's scary. This is my chance to be optimistic. I, I do hope and I, I do have faith that we as a society will recover eventually. But I think, you know, it's one of those things. It's got a, It's the darkest before the dawn. And so hopefully this is actually long term, a unifying thing for our country um, and, and the world uh, in, in something. So, guys, this has been a fantastic discussion. It's been a long time since we talked about COVID and a lot has changed. But I think this was hopefully a good view into our thoughts and feelings on on things. And uh, listeners, if you have any more questions or ideas that you want us to talk about on this subject, please feel free to reach out. Uh, we're more than happy to address anything you have. And if you have concerns or, or issues you want to talk about with your family on COVID, um, feel free to reach out because we'll help in any way that we can or give you resources to do that. So uh, it, that being said, everyone, uh, we will catch you sometime in the near future with some more episodes. We'll be wrapping up our summer series here. Uh, well, you, we probably just wrapped up our summer series by the time you listen to this. And uh, please uh, keep in touch, keep listening, and we will see you on the flip-flop.